0: everybody wants to be a part of the culture
1: until it's time to be diverse equitable and inclusive
0: so we're having the uncomfortable conversations needed to spark the change
1: right here right now
0: we're your hosts kai devereaux lawson
1: and i'm Simeon coker
0: and we say all the things you wouldn't
1: welcome back to the mixed company podcast
0: all right everybody welcome back to mixed company podcast we are literally ending the year like it has been the longest shortest most wildest year positively and maybe not so positively for me but it's the end Simeon. we're at the end
1: it's it's almost done we're like two weeks out
0: we're two weeks out two guests out and so i really want to jump into our conversation today as you guys know we don't just focus on marketing as a whole but we do focus on storytelling and creativity and we have a dope ass conversation here for you today. I want to introduce you all to our latest guest who is a storyteller extraordinaire uh from from the from the, from being an author to a screenwriter to all different kinds of storytelling. I think there might be some ins and outs of hip hop in here. I want to introduce you all to Kareem Hayes. Kareem, welcome to the show. <laughs> exactly. Let me read your bio real quick so folks know just how blessed we are to have you in our presence today. So Kareem Hayes founded uh, found his passion for writing and storytelling at an early age. David Dinkins, shout out to New York City, but David Dinkins, the mayor of New York City at the time, published Kareem's poem, Heartbeat, when Kareem was only 12 years old. So literally, you're not new to this, but as the kids say, you're true to this?
2: Yes, yes, ma'am.
0: I love that. His many accolades include speaking in front of thousands, opening for Jesse Jackson, and being one of the top youth long-distance runners on the East Coast. So out here, we've got track and field, all kinds of stuff. Kareem is more than an author. He's a griot who uses the power of his words and charisma to to empower and inspire Today he's known as Inf, the author, author, an independent publisher who has sold over thirty thousand books by hand. We're not talking about so, so
2: can I, so can I? So can I interrupt that? Right? That, 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 that bio um is like an older bio. So 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 it's actually a hundred thousand copies.
0: By hand.
2: hand. <laughs> Independently. By hand, I gotta by update my, uh, my website. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. And so, so slight, light flex, slight, slight flex. So good. So over a hundred thousand books by hand, independently. Kareem is a force to be reckoned with as he's taking the literary world by storm with a no holds barred, descriptive style of writing. His love for his audience drives him to create superior works that not only entertain but also inform. Inf the author's goal is to enlighten the masses, empower his community, as well as other up-and-coming artists and authors. And not to mention, he's got an amazing movie right now that's on the festival circuit called Necessary Evil, which we're actually going to talk about today. So, Kareem, welcome, and just thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank
2: you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So Kareem, we were telling you a little bit about how we do our show. Simeon, you know how it goes. Let's do a quick round of dope shit or ain't shit where we talk about current events that are either really just like blowing up or really just need to be cooled down. I'll go first really quickly. So one of the things that's happening on the creative side of the marketing industry, Simeon, I don't know if you saw this, is the reopening of the the creative uh, circus, Uh, the uh, the, uh, famous portfolio school that was closed down earlier in the year uh, based in uh, Georgia, I believe it was at the time um uh that closed down because you know I don't know if y'all have been to the supermarkets lately but it, the cost of eggs is high water is 4 dollars a bottle and the economy overall is not good for anyone not even businesses um and so while although on the podcast we've been critical about portfolio schools in the past the reason why this uh reopening of the creative circus for me is is actually a big deal is because uh, shout out to Van Graves. The Virginia Commonwealth University VCU Brand Center is actually taking taking over and reopening this. And for me, that's exactly where any portfolio school needs to be to allow more access to young people and people who just have an interest in creativity at any age who want to actually step their foot into the marketing, advertising and creative industry. If yeah. you guys remember going to portfolio school could cost you anywhere to 20 to fifty thousand out of pocket. And that's just out of pocket. We're not talking about uh, uh getting uh financial aid, we're talking about you paying for yourself by tying
1: this to the
0: brand center. Exactly. By tying this to the VCU brand center, it just allows for more opportunities for folks who want to do it, Have may not necessarily have the means to do it, but also have the, a steady pace to get it done. So I'm happy to see this reincarnation.
1: Yeah, that's dope. And I was just telling somebody earlier too, when it comes to portfolios, I think more um, disciplines or industries are benefiting from like juniors coming in with portfolios. So to have it within the college, I think it's extremely dope. For sure,
0: show, for sure. Simeon, what you got? Dope shit right. or shit?
1: I got two quick ones. Um, ain't shit, Zara, because they just released a advertising campaign featuring body bags that uh basically resemble images coming out of the war-torn Gaza. Um, so they're not shit. I think this speaks to the essence of why we started this podcast. Uh a lack of diverse perspectives in the room means that you're going to end up with dumb shit like this. And so they just um I believe they just read pulled back or they took down the ads from everywhere that they were um, displaying it. So they're not shit, they trash. And then um, a quick dope shit. So last year I was in the Add a Colored Leaders program with a wonderful person by the name of Lois Costello, who also started a podcast called The Changemakers Table. And I was on the last episode. Uh, and if you want to check that out, it's called Unlocking Success, The Power of Creative Knowledge, where we talked about my pretty much my entire journey and you know, abundance, the shit that I live by.
0: (laughs) Shout out to abundance. Uh, I did see the Zara campaign. I will say I am not convinced that Gaza and and, and Israel and Palestine were at the center focus of it, but I think it's in poor taste. Like, we know Uh it takes about Uh anywhere from two to three months to pull together a campaign to get the rollout, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're talking that, you know, this probably started before. However, this is where cultural competency comes into play when we're talking about marketing and creativity. I don't care if you weren't thinking that body bags were going to be triggering people two months ago. If you knew the day before you were going to release an ad that hey, you know people might not be really fucking with this right now because you know the news, current events, life. Um, maybe we shouldn't do this. If you have an inkling that something you're going to do is ink incredibly distasteful don't fucking do it it's not cute you saw what Balenciaga did you saw what happened with Balenciaga you saw what happened when they tried to be tongue-in-cheek about just don't do it and like everybody is scared every brand is scared to to when it comes to inclusion to do the right thing but they're so gung-ho when it there's so many brands that are gung-ho to do things in the in the context of oh we want to we 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 want to be provocative. If you want to provoke something, provoke thought, not anger. And there's and it's not even a thin line. So just something to consider.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I think to your point, this may have been shot months ago. Um, and even though it's coming out now, not having the right people because this I think this is a blind spot right so if you're not paying attention to what's happening over there and you're able to connect the images visually then yeah like this is to me this is a lack of having people in the room that are thinking about the cultural competency or have cultural fluency in order to make sure that shit does like this doesn't go out into the world
0: have you seen that have you seen the Zara ad
2: i haven't seen the Zara ad but aside from uh what I do with film and stuff like that. I'm also a visual artist. So I'm, I'm connected to a lot of art organizations in the city. Um, some are from urban environments. Some are more like what people would consider highbrow or whatever. But what I have noticed is that a lot of artists who don't look like us use, uh, the guise of expression and provocativeness to slide in really racial, uh, um uh, degrading things, you, you know what I mean, and I've seen that a lot. Like, I don't even want to say some of the stuff I've seen on uh, like on the show, but like like one lady had, one man has. I was
0: gonna say, it. tell us chocolate. <laughs> he,
2: he had a he had a exhibit called chocolate and and roses, and I thought I'm thinking Valentine's Day, and then when I go to look at it, it's a bunch of black male phalluses with flowers around it. And he was selling shirts called scum. and the scum the shirts looked like they had a ejaculation stain on them that was permanently shiny and like frozen, and he was selling those at his exhibit. So this is the things that kind of like goes on in Manhattan. you and know you know I've, I've seen a guy with you know black baby dolls um, hung in bob wire and it was at a big gala and this gala was on like 45th street in manhattan so it's, mm-hmm. it's
0: it's again it's it's the concept of being provocative you know it's easier to fight it's easier to fight to be provocative in the context of showing you know things like that to your point are degrading because mm-hmm. it's art because it is it is it is culture forward and it is provocative than it is to say hey can we get more black writers at the table hey can we actually add more people of color in the ad in the ad hey can we actually have a a a more diverse list of you know um Miami's Art Basel and the Scope show just passed this past weekend can we get a few more artists from diverse backgrounds to actually be able to exhibit at, in these spaces? It's so much harder to do that than to put forward artwork like we're seeing, like you were talking about, Kareem, or like we're seeing on the with the recent Zara ad, like we saw with Balenciaga, or like we even saw with Pepsi back in 2016. And so like the connection for me is, is that people don't actually understand culture. They don't understand what it means to be provocative, but what they really want to do is be shocking. And what you're trying to do with that shock is just shit that shocks you. You don't even understand the integrity of it. And so- um interested to see what kind of diversity programs Zara starts after this and who they donate to um and uh who they hire as a creative director because they want to show that they are aligned with people of middle eastern and north african descent and you know i'm 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 here for the template i'm here for the diversity template whatever no it's coming it's coming kareem anything that have you seen anything recently or heard of anything recently that has captured your attention that has made you say that's dope or has made you say they not shit
2: dope dope shit dope shit andre 3000 the the uh the the rapper yeah um, he released the album full of flutes uh it outsold a lot of the most popular rappers And I kept on, I was bigging it up on social media. Um, It's played in 432 megahertz, which is a frequency for healing. Um, I work with, my my son has autism. He's on the spectrum, right? He's a brilliant kid. But I use healing tones to medicate him. Um, I use a lot of sound healing. And I found that album excellent for people that might have, like, me say mental health issues neurological issues it
0: really yeah
2: calm, it really helps them calm down and stuff like that so i just think that's so dope i like what he's doing for black artists because a lot of people said to me a lot of people say well he's a rapper he should rap and i like the idea of not being fit into a box right yeah. like i i can't stand when someone thinks that because i come from a certain environment i'm just a street guy or I'm just this type of guy. No, I have I have diverse views. I like different types of art. I like different types of food. I experience many different cultures. I just like white t-shirts and Jordans on Fridays. That's it. On another day, I'm gonna wear dashiki. On another day, yeah, I'm gonna wear a right. two suit. You you cannot, you can't fit my masculinity in a box. Mm. And so often I see that with black men, they say either you're a drug dealer, you're a rapper, or you're an athlete. That's all you can be. And so for my brother to say, nah, I'm cool as shit playing the flute. What you gonna do? And for people to gravitate towards that, it's like, I feel like he's making a little hole for people like us that we can dig and dig and make that hole way bigger. So I I think that's some dope shit.
0: I I think what's even more amazing about it, you know, we've heard artists in the past. I, I know Drake has said it. I know Beyonce has said it. This concept of like, i could sell a blank cd and i almost felt very uh um i felt like andre 3000's album is almost like selling a blank cd because you have a lot of people who are not necessarily familiar with with alternative music in in that space or not necessarily familiar with a uh, 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 music that is that is made from actual instruments that isn't necessarily made from two turntables and a microphone that said, you know what, because I I go, I fuck with Andre 3000 this hard, I'm actually going to just throw my money, throw my streams, throw my downloads over here and support. And then what you see are the people are like, you know what, this ain't that bad. And I mm-hmm. think it has a lot to do with what you're saying, Kareem, those healing tones where it's like, yo sometimes we just need space to think we need the space in between the words to think and that's what I got from it so I've been meditating to it there's a couple tracks on the on there that I I recognized I was like that that flute sounds like a twerk and I feel like this is a turn up moment on this record like I see what he's doing so shout out to Andre 3000's uh uh, evolution shout out to it being dope shit and thank you for participating in that Kareem but speaking of artistry speaking of evolution you have come a long way in your career um what we what we're excited to talk to you uh, about today is your latest film necessary evil but more importantly the impor- the, the the impact that um v- varying or diverse views and stories uh need and why they need to be told in creative spaces. If we look at the movies, you know, shout out to April Ryan. If we go back to Oscar, So White, that campaign, if we look at the lack of diversity in filmmaking, advertising, entertainment, the arts, et cetera, you know, it excludes a lot of us because of where we've come from, what we represent, and, and, and this idea that what we want to be isn't necessarily feasible. But you've been able to overcome that. Again, you've, sold over a hundred thousand books independently by hand. Okay. No chat GPT, just putting it together yourself. You've gone ahead, you've written uh books that have since turned into feature-length films. And that's no small feat. So I'd love to get a sense of your story, Kareem. How did you, how did you get to this point of being a major independent publisher and a screenwriter? And where did you come from to get there?
2: Um well, you know my my story is similar to a lot of uh, unfortunately, similar to a lot of of black men that come from an urban environment. Um so you know i I kind of came up hard uh, and but I was always a writer and I was always a painter, and I was always someone that loved art. and I knew at an early age that I would not I would not sell drugs and run the street for the rest of my life. I kind of knew that eventually I would want to evolve into something else. And one of my boys came home from jail and he had a hood book that he, you know, that he, he had all these hood books he was reading in jail. And I was like, yo, let me read some of these things. And I read like three books in one night. Like that's how easy they were to read. And mm-hmm. I said, nah, this ain't right. If they could do this, then you know what, I'm going to do what I do. And I've always been a fan of, um, uh, the, you know, Mr. Baldwin, uh, Langston Hughes, um, even Malcolm X's autobiography, uh you know the fire next time all these you know donald goings all these like legendary black authors and i said i think i can tell a street story that's conscious and still deliver this spirituality to my community it was it was almost like i'm a fan of brand nubian uh wu-tang clan krs1 rakim and what i liked about them most was that they displayed strength and it was hard you know, it was, you, you know, when they talk, it's like, yo, defend yourself. Yo, you know, it, it was real shit. But if you listen, there's a lot of knowledge of self in there. There's a lot of metaphysics in there. There's the, the raps, like Nas's raps are so layered that, you know, one point you're going to get, yeah, I'm in the projects. I'm selling drugs. But another point he's going to tell you, you know, at 12, I went to hell for snuffing Jesus. Like, you know, all, all these metaphors that are so powerful and, and spiritual and, um, I knew that I wanted to write something like that where I was speaking to two audiences at once, our urban audience and the audience that wanted to hear higher principles, esoteric science. I've always been into that stuff. So um, that's, what, that's why I came up with the concept of Necessary Evil. So part, part of it is autobiographical, but th- there's other parts where I'm, I'm talking about aspects of our community uh, the social ecology of New York's drug trade during the mid to early 90s is the bigger story. And the personal story is the growing pains associated with a spiritual awakening. So after selling books on the street, right, because I, I, I knew I wasn't going to get a publisher and stuff like that, uh, the first 5,000 books I sold, I used the money from that to pay to get a professional editor so I can get a really good edit. I I was really big on... You know, just because I'm independent and I'm one person, I always want my brand and my packaging to look really tight and complete. You know, like my shirts, everything has to look like it came from a big company. I don't care. I don't I don't lean I don't lean on the oh you smart because you from the hood and you wrote a book. No, I want to be next to the Michael Bailey's, I want to be next to the Stephen King's. I'm not I'm I'm not saying that where I'm I'm not keeping my standards low. I have high standards. For me and my brand, so I kind of approached everything like that, and I hit the streets selling my book up and down the East Coast: Philly, Boston, Connecticut, Atlanta. You know, New Jersey, Philly, Boston, Connecticut, New Jersey is all me. That's like that's like that's like New York for me, you know. Um, and I worked hard to be known out there, going to different colleges and speaking, going to festivals, standing on the block, just putting the table out, and and being willing to engage my community. And the biggest part was that I lead with love. So it's so easy, you know, for me to conduct myself and talk to people because, you know, there's a, I'm, not a, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person. And there's a part of the Bible where they say you enter into the kingdom of God as a child. So yeah. every place that I go, I, I just open my heart. You know, you could kind of feel it even when I started talking to you. It's like, yo, what's up, Kyle, let's go. Because <laughs> I don't know any other way to be. And and I'm not scared of, of being vulnerable. And my community embraced me for it, and it, it took me really far. Um, the idea of the the making it a film project was the natural progression, but I did let the streets tell me, like everybody, just yeah. need to be a movie. This looked like a movie. This looked like a movie. In my heart, I knew I wanted to make a movie, but it was like, you know, it's like when you're on the block, right? There's dudes that come out and they make up a nickname. Yo, my name murder, but they ain't murder nobody. It's,
0: and then different. To... it's, it's different if somebody gives you your nickname.
2: So when the community kept on telling me, nah, it should be a movie, it should be a movie. I said, okay, I'll pursue this. In the process of pursuing it to be a movie, I ran into a lot of lames. I ran into a lot of people who made a lot of false promises and, and things didn't happen. Circle jerked me. Told this, me stories.
0: Create the creative industries as a whole. This is how they yeah, go.
2: Yeah, just a
0: pause. Yeah, I'm gonna pause because yeah. mm-hmm. I actually want to read the the description. So I pulled the description for Necessary Evil off of Amazon, and I, I imagine that there has been some changes. But this to me is is so impactful, and to me, and I know you'll agree because these are stories of of, of people that we grew up looking up to almost, or that babysat yeah. us, that watched us on the block, that watched us cross the street to go to school, et cetera. So Necessary Evil is a tale based on the so- the social ecology of New York City's drug trade during the early 1990s. Um, it's a story that was needed as, as a, a young Black man who has experienced so many perils growing up in the streets of New York. We often reflect back on the infamous Black drug lords of the past, like Bumpy Johnson, Pappy Mason, etc. cetera, romanticizing with the fast money and risky lifestyle that came with the early seventies heroin and 1980s crack game. The old wino that reminisces of the good old days, how there was honor amongst thieves and how New York was never a place for bloods and crips. But what about the lost generation? What of the children from the seventies baby boom What of the Generation X children who grew up under the phrase, crack is whack? What about hip-hop second coming of the golden age after the Sugar Hill Gang, but way before Dipset and G-Unit? What of the children who romanticized Alpo, but were violently stricken by Giuliani and the emerging RICO laws that that implement strict sentencing on poor inner city, lower level drug dealers?" while allowing upper level white collar criminals to go free with a slap on the wrist. I'm going to pause there. There's something so specific about that. That's a very specific uh, generation of people, specifically between the mention of Bumpy Johnson all the way down to Alpo. You have to be of a specific generation within a specific region to really understand the impact of that. And for you to find this this space and time, these activities, the, the the way of life for so many people who were literally just trying to make it day to day. For me, like, I find that beautiful that that's the story you wanted to tell. Can you share with us why, what, what about that? Um, What about this space and time? This story was so important that you said, you know what, fuck it. I'm about to write a book. And then eventually, once the streets were like, yo, this is how it needs to be a movie for you to say, you know what? People still need to see this.
2: Mm, uh, my, my mother is from that is from that time. And, um, you know, she she fell victim to a lot of stuff in the streets. And uh, I witnessed I witnessed a lot of it, you know, to the point where I, t- I put I'll tell you this. When I was 15 years old. It was the first time I was going to sell crack. I'm not proud of this, but it's the truth. And when I went in the crack house, I said, oh my God, it smells so good in here. And my friend said, what you talking about? That's crack. I said, oh, oh, my boy, yeah, that's his thing. Reason why it smelled good is because I was so used to smelling it every Saturday and Sunday. My mind associated the smell smell of crack with good times. Because every Saturday and Sunday, that's what I was smelling the house mixed with the incense. And you know when everybody's partying on a Saturday and you say, mommy, here, yo, here's $10, go to the store. Yeah, 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 watch Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, 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 play with your toys, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So the smell was associated with happy times. Mm-hmm. So, that's, so, so that's how crazy my, my mm-hmm. childhood was uh, growing up. And But I was able to transform from that. I was able to do alchemy with that. And I wanted people to see that alchemy. And I also, my life, the, the theme music to my life was hip hop. I was born in 77. I was born when hip hop was born. We're the coolest grandparents there is, you know? So so, <laughs> so, so because, I was, because I was a part of that generation, I kind of just wanted to show people how the golden era of hip hop and the young people that grew up in that time period, how we were affected by all these things. And right. um, it, it's a story that's really close to my heart, so.
1: So I, I think your backstory gives a lot of context knowing that some people will probably see it as a glorification of the street life like what is the the takeaway that you want people to have from watching this this movie that you just made
2: well even even with the uh even with the movie and the book i explore intricate relationships right so when you watch it it's not about shoot 'em up bang bang it's about my relationship with my mother mm-hmm. and and how and how we overcome that it's about my relationship with a supportive black woman. Mm -hmm. So, so, so uh, Shaniqua ain't in the film, Mm -hmm. you know, the girl with the braids that, like that, nah, you know, that sister that says, you're a king. I believe in you. You don't have to do this. I think you can do it this way. That sister that we all know, that we never see on the film, she's in there and she looks like us because my mother looks like us. So that that was important too, because I have a duty to my daughter. I have a duty to my wife. I have a duty to my mother to show them images of themselves in supportive roles. Because if something happened to me and I was in the hospital, something happened to me and I was locked up in prison, I'd call my mother first. I'd call my wife first. I wouldn't call none of the dudes on the block. So it was really important to show these positive relationships between Black men and Black women that so often are kind of like pushed to the side, and you don't get to see that in, in film. You don't get to see that in a lot of our books. They're always trying to sell us this trauma. And then in turn, human, we kind of, we kind of mimic the trauma that we see instead of kind of being supportive of each other and, and embracing each other and just empowering ourselves as a community. So, um, and it's very spiritual. There's a lot of esoteric science in it metaphysical science in it you know you know how you give a baby medicine and you put the medicine in the applesauce. so the street stuff is the apple sauce but there's a there's a lot of medicine in it and it's not a lot you don't have to dig to see it if, if you're on the frequency it's going to pop right out at you like soon as you see it
0: i love to hear that and especially because you know we were during the dope shit ancient segment we were talking a lot about you know the need of of people in the creative space or storytellers rather to be provocative at the detriment of people and their audiences and the communities that they are trying so hard to engage in and and with with necessary evil there's this there's this applesauce that you're talking about where it's kind of like the intention is not to be shoot 'em up bang bang the intention is not just to show the detriments of, of street violence and street code, et cetera, but rather that opening up the possibility that there is an experience that people are having. And in these experiences, there are relationships that they have. So the concept of good and bad isn't what's important, but what's important is how are these people navigating amongst each other to survive, Why do you, why, why, or how do you, um, how would you recommend other young creators who are having a lived experience that they are not seeing presented on the big screen or in books? How do you inspire them to start to tell the, the complexities of their stories in a sea of content that like really doesn't necessarily look for that? So you mm-hmm. know I imagine you found your success through through your independence as difficult or as complex as that may be you get to tell your story how do you recommend other young creators start to tell their stories and the complexities of it
2: uh, d- dare to be different dare to dare to be different you know uh my first book cover is black and red so when i was selling my book in the street uh that series money and violence was really popping, like, and people would always say to me, "Why you don't do what Money and Violence is doing?" And I would say, like, "No, you know, no, nothing, no, no problem with them, but I'm doing my thing, you know." And I need a certain quality, like when you like, when you see the book cover, people say, "Who? Oh my God, who published this book for you?" I did. When you see the film, even the trailer, and the quality is highbrow. I love everything that's on Tubi. I have so much respect for for a lot of black filmmakers. And most of them I know, I know a lot of Tubi guys. I know a lot of the guys on YouTube, but I have to set myself apart. I have to have a standard. I don't believe that just cause I'm black and I'm from the hood, I'm supposed to have a low budget looking film. I think there's, and then I gotta respect the craft because that's what, that's, you know, I, to answer your question too, cause I wanna stay on track. Um, that's what you gotta do. Step your game up and play like the professionals. Don't, 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 don't say, oh, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a freshman in college and I'm from Bed-Stuy. I don't think I can. Don't say, oh, you know, I'm just a person that I'm on TikTok every day. I don't even go to school or nothing like that. It's too much information out there. Go get the information. When I first started writing scripts, I met, I met a positive person that said, hey, I'm going to take you to a proving ground. I'm going to take you to the hip hop film fest. Everybody that I went there, uh, I was there with, were people on Netflix. All these people had accolades. Some of these people went to school, but we had to write a short script once a month. And I said, I'm going to kill these niggas because <laughs> they don't come from where I come from, right? <laughs> so that's the advantage you have when you come from a certain place. You got to use your grit. A lot of people don't have grit, so you'll see somebody say, "Oh, he went to a four year college. He knows all this about film. So what? He don't have your grit. Now take your grit." And put that quality polish on it. So just keep your stuff up to standard. You know, when I found out that all the scriptwriters were using Final Draft 11, I saved up the money to get Final Draft 11. You know, mm-hmm. like whatever it whatever it takes. Don't don't limit yourself and have a standard. And don't be scared to pay somebody who you think is smarter than you in a particular thing. Sometimes I find that us from our community, a lot of times we 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 take pride in doing everything ourselves. Yo, I acted in it, I directed it, I wrote it, but did you actually speak to a professional writer to get some pointers? Did you read a book about writing, the art of show and tell and script writing? Did you study about directors? Did you search for maybe an up and coming student director who has some good work that you can pay a certain amount of money? Did you look for a producer? Because now once you get these people in these positions, it frees you up to do what you do best. I write good, I produce good, I sell good. I don't want to direct, but I'm going to look for the best director. So all all those things, holding yourself to a standard, get out there and network and, and don't be scared. Be fearless because that's the only way to win is to be fearless, you know, that, that's how, that that's what I could say to a lot of young people.
1: No, I think that's a good point. And I know that there are probably a lot of creatives that that also have that burning project that's in the chamber uh, that they want to pop off. Like, how would you, what advice would you give them around getting those resources, right? I know it takes probably a lot to um, do a feature-length film. How would you, what would be that intro advice that you would give them to go about, like, getting started and getting it off the ground and getting it to completion with the, the right resources?
2: Go out, talk, and make mistakes. Because mm. people who are successful, people who are unsuccessful, and people who are successful—the only difference is successful people made way more mistakes. Mm. They lost mm. a lot. They lost a lot more. You know, yeah. the, the guy, the guy that makes all the shots in the in the in the gym is because he missed way more shots than you. And in the process of him w- missing all those shots, he got he got used to making them. So yeah. you know, I. I when I used to sell books, right, it's one out of 10, 10 out of 100, 100 out of 1,000, 1,000 out of 100,000. So my mantra was health, wealth, prosperity. Doesn't matter what's going on around me. It doesn't matter if I've been out there since nine o'clock in the morning and it's 12 o'clock and I didn't make a dollar. I'm preaching to myself health, wealth, prosperity. Health, wealth, prosperity. And I might have, I might have saw those 90 no's before I got to those 10 yeses, you know. Uh, uh, what is it? Persistence beats resistance. Water wears down rock. Happiness is a choice. Those are three things I say to myself constantly because you have to be happy with the journey. So so a lot of times in the in in your process, you might fail, but you have to get back up and continue because all the people that came before you failed. Um, Another thing I would say to get those resources, research things like grants. Look for ways to get money. The money is out there for you. She mentioned ChatGPT earlier. When when I first started applying for grants and stuff like that, I didn't have resources like ChatGPT that can help you write a grant. Now you have a lot of lot of resources that can help you write a grant. Um, when you're going after money, dag! I want to say this, man. Don't look for money in your community. Look for money outside of your community. Your, your friends, you I got friends that, I got people that were my friend that's not my friend no more, mm. right? I got people that's my, I got people that would have gave me money to buy a kilo of Coke, would have gave me money to buy a pound of weed, but would not give money towards a film. Because if I give you money towards your dream and I invest in your dream or I help you with your dream, all it does is remind me of my inadequacies because I used to be right there on the block with you. I'm not going to help you get off the block. You better get off the block on your own. That's a lot of mentality with our community. So I would kind of say step outside the box. You know, the first person that helped me raise money, he told me, don't look for people that love you. Look for people that admire you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it, I think that that's the best path to go upon and study, 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 study. You know, one of the easiest things to do is if you know somebody that did what you're trying to do research their path and do three to four times more than what they did that's a guaranteed way to win it's a guaranteed way to win you know if you're a boxer or something he runs 10 miles every day okay i'm gonna run 30 that's gonna make me better than him right and so it's like simple math you know and and get out get out your feelings there's nobody's job to support you black sometimes a lot of times black i'm sorry i keep my A lot of times, a lot of black entrepreneurs feel like, oh, my people got to support me. No, it's your job to make a superior product. You got to make a superior product that sells itself. Stop this. Woe is me. Oh, my people don't help me. No, they're not going to help anybody that don't have a good product. Make it a good product that's undeniable. And then, you know, you cross your T's and um, dotted your I's.
0: I love that. And so I love all of this because what I'm taking from what you're saying is like, Definitely open up your market. You gotta. You can't look necessarily look in the same spaces for the same kind of the support you're getting. If you want to do something different, if you want something different, you got to do something different. Definitely finding the resources is super important. Um, the last question I have is about your pivot, right? You've done so much, and I'm. I know it. I know it is a long period of time, but in the grand scheme of life, you've you've done a lot. You've had a lot of different careers, if I may. And so that transition, what was it that the, besides the streets just being like, bro, this gotta be a movie? What was it like taking the, the, the step, that final step to say, okay, I'm I'm about to be more than an author. I'm gonna be a screenwriter. And and how can you encourage other young creatives that are looking to pivot? what they may have been doing for let's say 10 years. And now it's like, you know what? I think there's something new on the horizon. What kind of advice would you give to them?
2: Respect the culture of what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, like a lot of times like you'll see somebody say, hey, like I act, sometimes I act in different people's stuff. When anything I'm gonna do, I fully commit. You fully commit. And it goes kind of back to that thing where it says you, you enter into the kingdom of God as a child. When I went to the to to the competition with all these screenwriters and people were they all wrote film and stuff like that, I didn't come in there with a chip on my shoulder saying, "Oh, I sold thousands of books." I didn't come in there. With, I came in. I came in there like, "Yo, I sold a couple books, but I want to learn how to do what you guys do." And 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 in in that space where it's almost like you're coming in the name of service, you you get you get so much. You know what I mean? It's like if I wanted to join your show and I wanted to be a co-host, I wouldn't say, yo, you know, I'm a great speaker. I'm dynamic. you i do a, I'll do a great job. Do you, need make, you need to make me a part of this. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't say Don't that. I wouldn't say
0: people no. do that. That happens yeah. so often.
2: <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I would, I would, I would first say to you what I could contribute. Hey, yo, I think I, yo, if you put me on, I got, I could get guests like this. I could get guests like that. I could get guests like this. But the podcast thing is you. Show me how, what, what can I do to be a part of what you're doing? I, I might just be bringing y'all coffee and tea for six months. Mm. And, I, and I'm okay with that. I might just be picking up the mail. I might be the guy behind the scenes that's setting up the Zoom. But I'm willing to start from the dirt so I could plant firm roots and my trunk would be solid. So like, you know, now I'm like super confident about my script writing skills. You know, like I've won different awards, I'm actually gonna be published in a book with Michael Bailey, the guy that uh that wrote um what did he write? Uh Bird Box with the blindfolded people on Netflix. So he's like he's That's pretty the up- one
0: with Sandra yeah, Bullock. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm I'm gonna be in a book with him and you know, my partner who I work with now is actually working with Stephen King. So a lot of the things that I said I wanted to be able to do, I did it by having humility and being able to put in the work, you know. Yeah put in don't be scared to put in the work. Yeah. You no know, a, a lot of times pe- people people want everything all at once. You know if you step into a if you pivot to a new career, you might need a year, a year or two just learning and mastering the craft. Respect people's craft, you know, and 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 respect the culture of the craft. That means whatever lessons have to be taken, whatever books have to be read, whatever exercises have to be done. You do that, and and you'll rise to to the top. I think you know.
0: Absolutely. Well, Kareem, I'm so 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 happy that you were able to join us today. I know it is the end of the year. There's tons of work going on. I know you are taking the the necessary evil, the film on the road, and that you've been at. Quite a few film festivals recently. Um, please share with us what's the best way for a folks to uh, see the film Necessary Evil, and how do they get in touch with you or follow you on social channels if they're interested in seeing what you got going on?
2: Okay, dope. Um, so we the next film festival we should be in is in Queens. It'll be the Queens uh, Film Festival. I'll have that on my social media and my website. So that'll be in February uh right now we're pushing the film we we want to we want to get the money to do the bigger project so right now we're pushing it exclusively through the film festivals um to contact me on social media or on the internet it's i-n-f-t-h-e-a-u-t-h-o-r which is inftheauthor.com that's my website on instagram it's at inftheauthor or necessary evil film but you can find me that way uh if you type in KareemHayes.com, that's my website. I have a community board on my website so you can fill out a little application. You'll get an email back and I'll have your information and I'll always send you flyers and things about different events I'm doing. And I'm um, And I'm also somebody that's always open to help people. When I got the self-publishing information, I got it for free. So mm-hmm. I give a lot of game away for free. So I don't mind people hitting me up in my inbox. You hit me up in my inbox. I might not have time to talk, but I will give you the recipe. I'll give you the websites. I'll give you the people to contact with my referral. How to call and get different things done. I've done that for a bunch of people. It's not a problem. I never worry about it because ninety percent of people don't execute anyway. Oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And we'll probably be reaching out soon too. I know for myself, we've got I've got some things on the horizon. Uh, but as we're still working kareem thank you so much for joining us for this episode of mixed company podcast for those of you listening or if you're happening to catch this on youtube or on the social media definitely check out kareem hayes definitely check out necessary evil if you're in the new york city area and you can make it to the queen's film festival in february definitely do yourself yourself a favor and do so and with that we will end this episode one person out
2: Shout him and out. Director Jamal Hodge, my business partner and my mentor, uh, he directed the film. So it's his creative vision. When you see the beautiful colors and the lighting.
0: quality, that
2: quality. And, and that the, quality. The, the, the shimmying of the black tones of skin and all that. That's all my man, uh, Jamal Hodge. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. And he went from being my director to my being my business partner and actually giving me a portion to to be a part of his company. So, you know, salute to him for that. Had to make sure to throw that out there. And thank you guys. This was a dope interview. Yes, I knew the energy hey. was gonna be crazy from when I talked to you on the phone. <laughs> Pleasure meeting you, brother.
1: You too, man. Appreciate
2: thank,
0: it. Thank you, thank you. Y'all take care and we are Out.